Our text this morning will be in Isaiah chapter 9. And I thought it would be appropriate as we're moving now towards Christmas Day that for the next four Sundays that we as a church would begin to focus in on Jesus Christ. And I think there's no better text for that than Isaiah chapter 9. Now Jake and Zeke, all they could see is the sameness, the same thing every day. They, they couldn't see the goodness of God. But my prayer for our church and all that are here today is that we'll begin to see the grace of God that has been displayed through Jesus Christ for us. And today is the first Sunday of December. And there'll be four Sundays here in December. And that last Sunday will land on December 24th, Christmas Eve. And many churches, they they practice what is known as Advent. And Advent typically is four Sundays before Christmas, but since we have the last Sunday on Christmas, I thought we'd start right here. And we'll focus together on who is Jesus Christ. And, And we'll be looking at Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7, but verse 6 says this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And over the next four Sundays, we'll be examining each one of those four titles that Isaiah gives to the Messiah that will come. And we know, of course, that that Messiah is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And and as a wonderful counselor, it will speak about the plan of God. Jesus is mighty God. And it reveals God's power. Jesus is eternal Father. It, It speaks of His paternal nature, His love for His creation. And He is Prince of Peace. He reconciles us to God that we may stand before Him in glory. And so today I want to focus on Jesus as the wonderful counselor, the one who came, and the one that we turn to in time of need. So let's read the text. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 says, But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish in earlier times. He treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, and you shall increase their gladness, and they will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil." For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, and as at, the, as at the battle of Midian, for every boot of the booted warrior in battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us and the government will rest upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace." There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. 
and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So who is Jesus Christ, and why can we call Him the Wonderful Counselor? Well, the first thing we have to look at this morning is the problem. There's a problem, and it's spoken of here in Isaiah. People are in darkness. People are in darkness. And the people in Isaiah's day, they had drifted from the Lord. They claimed to be God's people, but yet they had drifted. As a way of review, Isaiah was a prophet who ministered in Judah, the southern kingdom. And God had called him to minister, and there were four kings during the time of his ministry. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And Isaiah prophesied during this time what was known as the divided kingdom. You had the the ten tribes in the north, and you had the two tribes, the southern tribes of Judah. And he primarily ministered to the southern tribes. King Uzziah had started out as a strong king, a faithful king. And under his leadership and, and, and really his ministry to the people for 52 years, God blessed the nation of Judah. But Uzziah's heart became prideful, and the people's hearts became prideful. And in pride, Uzziah comes into the temple, and he tries to present the sacrifice himself that's only reserved for the priests, and God strikes him with leprosy. And so his son, Jotham, needs to come in and take over to reign as king. Now, Jotham did evil in the sight of the Lord. Jotham was not a faithful man to God. And at the time that Jotham was king, Judah also began to incur opposition from Israel to the north and also Syria. And they started to incur problems. And then Jotham died. And his son Ahaz became king. Ahaz also did not please the Lord. He started to reign when he was 25 years old in 735 B.C. And he reigned until he was 41. And the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria, they they had formed an alliance together because Assyria had come down and was threatening to destroy them. And so they, they asked King Ahaz if he would partner with them, and Ahaz said no. So they turned on him and attacked. War began. And Ahaz, in fear, instead of turning to the Lord, he turns to Assyria. And he asked the Assyrian king to help him. Well, the Assyrian king is so glad that he asked. And so, sure, he'll help the king. But Ahaz had sinned greatly against God. So greatly, as a matter of fact, that he brought a heathen altar into the temple and worshipped there. And he caused the people of Judah to worship a heathen god. And he brought judgment on the land. And darkness set into the land. And this is the point where Isaiah is writing, Isaiah chapter 9. Darkness had come. The people had turned away from God, and they'd turned to darkness. Ahaz and the people, they were looking for demonic guidance. They were looking for the things of this world, but they would not look to the living God who could save them. And I got to tell you, this is an apt picture of our nation today. Our country has turned from the things of God and looks to anything other than the true and living God. And darkness has come. There is a rise in crime, in deceit, in moral depravity, in suicide, in wars, in homosexuality, in fear, in anxiety. There's a rise in the belief in atheism, 
There's more disease, mental illness. There's demonic oppression. There's demonic possession. There's a rise in drug use and alcohol abuse. Darkness has come to our land. I was thinking about this, what's happened just in our nation. If you remember in 1999, we had the mass murder of 13 people, really children, in Columbine. And that so shocked our nation. I remember I was rocked when I heard that. But doesn't it feel like it's almost a regular occurrence now? When we hear about some kind of mass shooting. Do you know when Columbine happened, it was considered the fifth largest mass shooting. More people had died. It was the fifth one. Now it's not even in the records. Just recently we know that there was a Las Vegas shooting. 58 people died. The Orlando nightclub shooting, 49 people died. The 2007 Virginia Tech shooting, 32 people died. In 2012, the massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary School, 27 died. And, And we just read that the Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, 26 people died. Darkness is in the land. And along with all these dark problems, with all these things that are on the increase, there is also an increase in the worship of demonic spirits and the occult. Just like in Isaiah's day, our country has turned from the true and living God. And they seek help from the demonic and they seek help from the things of this world. And so many people say there is no God. And so they will turn to any other solution. They turn to the government. Maybe the government can help us. Or, or maybe it's, it's the economy. Or maybe it's a self-help book. But the same problem that was in Isaiah's day is the same problem that we have. That darkness as being spoke about in Isaiah's day is sin. It is the heart, the human heart, that is wicked, that is turned from the one that truly loves us. And the people in Isaiah's day had drifted, and many today have drifted from the true and living God. And do you understand that God has made us? He's made us to worship. We are designed by God for worship. And if we will not worship the true and living God, then we will worship anything and anyone other than God. And this is exactly what Isaiah said right before chapter 9. In Isaiah 8, 19, he says, When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spirits who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on the behalf of the living? In Isaiah 8, 22, it says, Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. I read that, I said, wow, that's our people today, right? They look to the earth, you know. Maybe it's if we can solve global warming, that's it. Everything will be fixed. We've turned away from the true and living God that's revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, we know that Judah never really regained the right heart with God. Now, Hezekiah was a good king. But after Hezekiah died, Babylon came in and And took them away. Why? Because their hearts were far from him. They had turned from him. And they were taken into captivity. And and then we know 70 years later they came back into the land. But their hearts were were fickle. And the people never really fully gave themselves over. They never fully surrendered to God. And so what does God do? He sends prophet after prophet after prophet. 
The final prophet was Micah. And he pleads with the people to turn, but they will not listen. And so God goes silent. No more preaching. No more prophecies. For 400 years, God is quiet until the last Old Testament prophet comes. We know him as John the Baptist. And suddenly, John the Baptist shows up and he starts preaching that the Christ is here, that light has come into the darkness. And that same light that the people saw when Christ arrived, we have that same life today. If you will put your faith and your trust in Him. Now Isaiah, he's looking forward and, and he sees a vision in the future. And he sees that one day, relief will come in the darkness. In Isaiah 9.1, he says, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles. So God promised that he would come to his people and come in the area where they had suffered most, in the area of the Galilee. Now understand, for for the people to hear that that this Messiah would come to the Galilee, it was a shock to them because they always kind of looked down on the Galilee. Because the Galilee, it, it, it basically was butted up against the Gentile nations and it was full of Gentiles. As a matter of fact, Karen and I have been studying. We're getting ready to go to Israel here in January to prepare for our trip as a church. And even still, the Galilee area, the region, really isn't very populated. There's a few kibbutz. There's a couple of towns. Why is that? Because the Jewish people look at it as a place you really don't want to hang out because there's too many Gentiles there. It's a Galilee of the Gentiles. But God, by His grace, starts there. Jesus Christ is going to be raised in Nazareth of the Galilee. And Jesus is going to begin his ministry in the Galilee. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into the Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In the darkest place of Israel, light was shown. The light of Christ came. And can I tell you, this is a wonderful picture for us. I don't know where you're at this morning. But in that darkness of your own life, in the darkness of your own heart, light, light of Christ is available to you. Perhaps it's a prodigal that they've gone down deep into darkness and your heart is breaking. Perhaps there's a situation that you have no idea what to do. It's too dark, it's too deep. God has the answer in Christ. In this world, there is darkness, but we can take great heart. There's light, and it's come. You know, I don't know if you've ever been driving, in a, and maybe we might call it a seedy part of town. Every once in a while, we'll go up to L.A., and there are certain parts of L.A. that are just kind of like, man, I think I'm going to lock the doors in this area. But every once in a while, you see one of those buildings, and they have no windows. And they have lights out in front trying to lure people in, but on the inside, it's real dark in there. Why is that? Because people on the inside don't want people really to see their face. Why? Because darkness takes place in buildings like that. Same kind of thing with Judah. They're like one of those buildings. They were lost in darkness. Darkness had set in. And the same thing has happened to our nation, but it does not have to happen to us. There's a problem. 
The people are in darkness. But now we'll see the solution. A great light has come. A great light has come. Now, light and darkness are common themes in the Bible. And this analogy, it speaks of good and of evil. It's very common. I want to look at verse 2 and then at verse 6. It says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those in the land, in a dark land, the light will shine on them. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. It says here that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. So for over 400 years, darkness, no preaching, no word of God had been in the land of Israel. But then light came. And you understand that as a nation, we, we as a nation began with biblical principles. But, but very quickly, after our nation was established, our country de- began to depend upon itself. We, we figured that we can do things on our own, and, and very quickly, God was kind of written out of our government to the point, I don't know if you remember, a number of years back, Time Magazine said that God is dead. And many people actually believe that lie, and many people believe that lie today. The same thing that happened in Isaiah's day has happened in our day. But Isaiah is saying that God has a plan, that he has a plan for the darkness that has set in, not only into the country, but into the heart of the people. And in verse 2, it says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Because Jesus came, and Jesus truly is the light of the world. When the Apostle John was speaking about the coming of the Lord, he spoke about John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was the forerunner And John the Baptist spoke of Christ. Apostle John wrote in John 1, 6, and 7, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Now Jesus, when he spoke of himself, he also called himself the light. In John 8, 12, Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And then again in John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And there have been many titles given to him. One of them we're going to talk about here in a minute is Wonderful Counselor. But also he is known as the Light. He's also been called the Way, the Door, the Vine, the Life. They all speak about reconciliation. Reconciliation between a God who's been offended by you and me. But because of his love for us, he sends his Son as the Light into a dark world. And what does this mean? It means that God has an answer for the darkness we're in. It means that He has a plan, that He wasn't surprised. It's always been this way. Isaiah says, it's been dark, but light will dawn. And the light of Christ has dawned against this dark backdrop. And it's been this way throughout the entire human history. You have this scene where darkness has set in, but then the grace of God breaks in 
to the darkness. We see it in Genesis 3.15 at the very beginning. Adam and Eve sin, but God shows up. And he looks forward, speaks of grace, and he says that, that from this seed, from the seed of the woman, he is going to crush Satan's plan, crush his head. What's he speaking of? Speaking of Jesus Christ. Light. We see it when Lot is rescued from the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a picture of our rescue. We see it in Exodus. On the night that that the angel of death is coming, it's a dark night. But God calls the people to kill a, a little lamb, a lamb that he told them, by the way, to hold for about a year so they had a relationship with him. And then they slay that lamb, and he tells them to put the blood over the doorpost in the sign of a cross, looking forward to the coming one. It's a picture of the coming Lord, the light into the world. It's throughout the Old Testament. This is what God has done. There's always been darkness, and then God brings in the light, the picture that now the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world has come. And Isaiah, he announces the plan. In verse 6, he says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. In eternity past, the decision was made. God the Son would put on flesh, and he would come to dwell with humankind. He doesn't come as a a conquering king, but he comes humbly, not to be served, but to serve. He comes born in a manger, surrounded by animals. But he came so that we might have life. Now, this is why John says in John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And this great light of forgiveness in Christ, it's offered to all who will believe. It brightly shines out. Whoever will respond, that offer is an honest offer. And you can respond to Christ this morning. One day, Isaiah tells tells us that the government is going to rest upon his shoulders. One day, Jesus is going to come back as a conquering king, and he will establish a kingdom on this earth. That kingdom will reign for a thousand years, and those of us that know Christ and love him, we will co-reign with him and serve with him. But now the Bible says that Christ does reign, but he reigns in our hearts. Let me ask you this morning, does he reign in your heart? Does he have first place? Is he Lord and Savior in your life? Because darkness has come, but light is offered freely to all. And I think one of the biggest issues for many people in our day, including some Christians, is is that they they live really to, to please their flesh and not to please the Spirit of God. And when Paul wrote the book of Galatians, this is what he said in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he also will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will, will reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. If your heart is given over to the feeding of the flesh, to the things of this world, and he says you're going to reap corruption, that means you're going to reap more sin. But if your heart is given over to, to the love of Christ and to the Spirit of God, then you'll, you'll reap life, abundant life, life in Him. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever read the book by J.R.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings, or maybe seen the movie. In the movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, I think this is an apt picture of man and sin, a sinful heart, is the creature Gollum. And the picture is you have Frodo Baggins, he's in the Misty Mountains, and, it, and it's in a dark place, and all of a sudden he sees this creature, and this creature's kind of sitting down by the water, you see all these dead fish bones everywhere, and he has in his hand a, a ring, it's the ring of power. And he's stroking that ring, and he's calling it, my precious, my precious. It's a picture of the heart given over to sin. It's an apt picture of, of the natural man, but can I tell you, it's also an apt picture of of the Christian who gives their life over to a particular sin, a sin that has a hold on you, and it's your precious. You keep it hidden. It's yours, and nobody knows it. Nobody can see it. It's, it's special to you. It hasn't been given over, surrendered to the Lord, but you hold on to it tightly because it's something that you love it. Nobody knows it. It kind of reminds me of a story I heard about with a woman who, she had this piece of jewelry, and she loved it beautiful. It's a brooch. And this beautiful brooch, it was dark and it glistened in the light. And and she loved it so much that she put it on a chain and so she would keep it hidden. And she didn't want anybody to to really know how much she really cared for this piece of jewelry, but she always had it on her. And and often during the day, she would just kind of touch her brooch and it was close to her heart. And she'd hold it and touch it. And even at night, she'd sleep with it. And sometimes she'd wake up in the middle of the night just to make sure it's still there. She'd see it. Oh, here it is. It's, It's hers. It's precious to her. And then one night she woke up and she's holding on to her brooch and she's, she's touching it and all of a sudden her husband wakes up and he turns on the light and in shock she looks down and it's not a brooch, it's a roach. <laughs> it's like sin, isn't it? Sometimes sin gets such a hold on us, it twists us. And in darkness we hold on to these things that we shouldn't hold on to, even the, the roach sin that may have you. But the Bible says that we can be free in Christ. The problem is darkness. The solution is light has come and now is the plan. God has sent a wonderful counselor, a wonderful counselor. And people are always trying to get answers through things in this life, through things of this world. But God in His wisdom put on flesh and came and dwelt with us. Look at verse 6 again. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, Jesus, as the Messiah, is the Wonderful Counselor. And so, when you look at this in the English, wonderful is written as an adjective. It modifies the noun, counselor. The word wonderful, though, in Hebrew is known as an abstract That means it should be defined as exceptional or distinguished or wondrous. You could actually define it as unique. Jesus is the wondrous counselor. He's the exceptional counselor. He's the unique one. He's unlike any other. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was out with a team. We we went over to Saddleback College, and and we do this pretty often, and we had a chance to to speak to a college student there. And, And so during the conversation, I says, who do you think Jesus is? And he looked at me, I've never heard this, first time. He said, I think Jesus is an avatar. I was like, I didn't even know how to respond to it. I was like, what? <laughs> now, I'll be honest with you, I really wasn't quite sure what an avatar was. I was kind of like, an avatar? Wow, I don't even know how to respond to that. 
And then I began to think about that James Cameron film, right? Avatar. I don't know. Maybe he was thinking Hinduism, because I did research now. And in Hinduism, they, they teach that there have been many avatars. And what an avatar is, is they have thousands of God, gods, a little g. And, and these gods will put on some kind of form, sometimes human form, sometimes animal form. And so far, there have been eight avatars that have come time, and typically, they're of the god known as Vishnu. I have no idea. Well, the reason I'm sharing this is because how sad. Our, our culture has come to the point where we don't really, there are many that do not understand who Jesus is. They think of him as almost anything than what the Bible says he is, the Savior of mankind. But I can tell you Jesus is unique. He is unlike anyone who has ever been born. And God's divine plan from the very beginning, being a triune God, is that Jesus the Son would put on flesh so that he could live that perfect life that we cannot live. Do you understand? You need a substitute. I need a substitute. And only a person can be substituted for another person. Why does God do that? Because he wants a relationship with us. That is the depth of his love. Do we deserve it? No. Can we earn it? Never. But Christ came. Now notice Isaiah says of him that a child is born. This speaks of his humanity. That the great God of the universe who created all things comes and humbly puts on flesh. Why? So that we can know him so that he can be that substitute because there can be no other than a perfect one. And not only that, he says a son will be given. This is the, the God-man, the infinite God-man. He's different, he's unique, he's exceptional. And this is why John, in John 3.16 that we all know, writes this, he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him, they will not perish, but they will inherit eternal life. Begotten means unique. He's unlike any other. And although Jesus is like us, he's one of a kind. And it made me think about when, when Jesus' mother, Mary, and Joseph, they take him into the temple after eight days because it's the time for him to be circumcised for a little Jewish boy. If you remember that passage in Luke, there's Simeon, and Simeon was a godly man filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit tells him, you are going to see the Messiah before you die. And he comes into the temple, and there's Mary with the child. Let me read to you his, his response in Luke 2, verses 29 through 33. It says, now the Lord, he says, now Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at these things in which he said about him. They were amazed because Jesus is unlike any other. He, he is unique. And we see this again later on when, when Jesus is taken by his parents. They they want to go to the Passover. Jesus now is a young boy, some believe maybe up to age 12, and, and they go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover as a family. And after Passover, in a caravan, they kind of leave, and I don't know how that works. I mean, I would never let my kids out of my sight, but all of a sudden, Jesus isn't there. And so they go back to Jerusalem to find him. And where do they find him? They find him in the temple. And he's, he's talking to the religious leaders, and, and he's, they're amazed 
Luke 2.47 says, All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And dropping down to verse 52, it says, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Jesus is unique. He is distinct. He's unlike any other. He is the wisdom of God. He is the wondrous one. But not only that, he's a counselor. A, a counselor. He's above all counselors. Way above any human counselor. Now Isaiah speaks about this in Isaiah chapter 40. And he begins to look forward of this coming one, this Messiah. In Isaiah 40, 13 and 14, he says, Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or as his counselor informed him? With whom did he consult and and who gave him understanding and who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him in the way of understanding? And the answer, of course, is no one because this unique one has the wisdom of God. He is God in the flesh. And as a wonderful counselor, Jesus gives the best counsel there is. He has the best ideas, the best strategies. And in Hebrew language, that word counselor It means to give good counsel. He gives great counsel. And it's available to all who know him and love him. And we see his wisdom throughout the Gospels constantly on display. I mean, I can't even count how many times these religious leaders try to trick him or manipulate him to get him to to do something that they want, but he knows what they're doing. Why? Because he's wise. He's a wonderful counselor. He knows all things. And every time he taught, People were amazed, stunned. Why? Because his words were the literal words of God. To the point where you had the, the temple priests, were, were, they, were, they were sent to arrest him. But as he's preaching, they listen, and they come back without him. And literally, in John seven forty six, it says, no one ever spoke like this man. And when Jesus spoke, he didn't speak like the other rabbis spoke where they'd often quote other rabbis. No, he'd say, thus I say unto you. An example of that is in Matthew 5, 43 and 44. He says, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And can I tell you, men and women are seeking wisdom from every source, anywhere, worldly wisdom. So many people are trying to figure things out and they're coming up short. So many people go to psychologists and psychiatrists and, and human you know, places to find wisdom. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. Sometimes we need someone to come alongside and sometimes there might be a chemical imbalance. But if you only seek human wisdom, you will not be satisfied. You cannot be satisfied. It reminds me of a joke that I, I just read it this week. Cracked me up. There was a psychologist, and he was walking along the beach in Hawaii. And his foot kicks a bottle, and he picks it up, and he begins to brush it off, and he pops the top off. And all of a sudden, a genie pops out, and it's standing right before him. And, and in amazement, he's like, wow. And, and the genie says, well, thank you for releasing me. For that, I'll grant you one wish. And so the psychologist, he thinks for a while, and he, thinks, he kind of laughs to himself. He says, okay. He says, I've always wanted to see a highway go from Hawaii to California. And, and the genie just kind of looks at him and genie says, look, you know, okay, uh, you, you understand all the pilings that there would have to be 
huge pilings to hold up a highway from Hawaii to California, and how long and how deep they would have to go. And you understand all the concrete that would have to be laid. The ecosystem would be decimated. I'm sorry, I just can't do that. And of course, a psychologist not wanting to offend and really not wanting to be you know, too hard says, okay, okay, okay. He says, well, can you help me then? He says, I'm a psychologist. And he says, I really want to know the heart of people. I want to know why, why sometimes I just do the things that they do and sometimes I, that, that, that I don't understand why they're unhappy and, and other times they, they, they do the exact opposite of everything. What I really want to know is the heart of men. I want to know what makes people tick. And the genie looks at him and says, did you want a two-lane or a four-lane highway? <laughs> No one knows the heart of man except God. And if you know Jesus Christ, He is a wonderful counselor. He is one that knows you. And He knows you so much better than yourself. And He is one that comes to your aid. As God, Jesus knows everything. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, that word counselor is parakletos. It means advocate. And we know in the New Testament, parakletos often stands for the Holy Spirit. But John says it also stands for Jesus Christ. In 1 John 2, 1, it says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, a parakletos with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You have the wonderful counselor. The one who has come has broken into the darkness, who offers you wise counsel at any moment through the word and by his spirit. Or do you seek counsel in this life only? He comes alongside. He's the wonderful counselor. And what's even greater than that, he never gets tired of your needs. He's always willing to listen. And the Bible says he will never leave you or forsake you. He is the trustworthy one. He is the light that has come into darkness. But the problem is that people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Is he your light this morning? Can you say with absolute confidence, I know him. He's mine. I pray that he is. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of God. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the wonderful counselor. Father, I thank you that that you and your wisdom sent your only begotten son so that anyone who would believe in him, would trust him, would inherit eternal life. I pray for everyone here now that you would help us, Lord, to put our trust and our faith in you alone. For there is no other. For you alone are the holy, faithful one of God. We thank you for coming. In Jesus' name, amen.